This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Buy the Book with me, Lee Trilin, and my fellow reader and sometimes interviewer, Shamila Ganesan. Hello. Hello. And joining us today, we have a special guest. Um, so we have former lawyer and retired Court of Appeal judge, Tansri VC George, who is here today to talk about his book, Some Stories I Have Told and Some Stories That I Haven't, which is a, I think, a very sound description of the book as it is, which is a collection of stories around Tansri's life and experiences. And yes, so we have Tansri VC George joining us. Thank you so much for speaking with us. So I think the first question here is, considering your, your career path, did you always want to be or plan to be a writer? I am not a writer. I never plan to be a writer. I still am not a writer. I wrote a book that doesn't make me a writer. I just put into writing some of the stories that I've told my friends. And your book contains a hundred anecdotes and they span decades, right? From your days studying in London to your various friends along the way. Uh, they cover your years as a judge as well. When did you start putting these stories down and how did you decide what to write about? 2018, 1st of April, I said, write to guys, friends of mine were telling me, uh, suggesting I should write down my story. I think they were getting a bit worried. I was getting on to it getting on to be a little old. So they said, write down the stories. And so I said, write. And I, I made a note in my diary, 1st of April, start of uh, writing down the stories. I didn't intend to write, uh, publish a book. I just wanted to write down some of the stories, staple them. Every time I got to about 10 stories and passed it on to my friends for them to read. That was the intention. But before I knew it, I'd come to 50 or 60 stories and some suggested I should put it all into a book. And so uh, that's when the idea came. It probably in later part of 2018, I targeted 100 stories and gave myself two years. But in a year and a half or so, I managed to put together 100 stories. Now, considering uh, the period of time that this book covers, what did you have to do to jog your memory or uh, ensure you were getting the details and dates right? I mean, uh, did, you, did you, for instance, have a diary? No, I'm afraid not. I'm quite useless that way. I never kept a diary. I wish I had. To a few hundred stories, then not just a hundred stories. No, I never kept a diary. So when I sat down, I started thinking back. Uh, every time I thought of a story, I'd make a note in my diary. And then two days later, sat down and wrote it down in longhand, passed it on to my secretary who put it into the computer. And that's, uh, that's how the, the thing was uh, put together. Now, you do mention in your book uh, that you weren't really a big fan of the idea of a traditional autobiography. Um, why is that? And why did you go with this format instead? Uh, autobiography is written by people who have something whose lives are worth putting on record. I didn't think my life was uh, sufficiently impressive enough to write my autobiography. One of my friends, I remember as a writer, told me, a Malaysian writer said, told me he's going to write his autobiography. I wondered who wanted to read about me. 
I met one of his nephews and I said, ah, oh, your uncle is writing a, his autobiography. I suppose you people will be interested. He said, no, no, we are not interested either. <laughs> so I don't think anybody is going to be interested in my autobiography. But my stories, I used to tell the story in my preface. I say, I used to, I start off the book by saying the preface. I tell a story. I used to tell a good story. Uh, some of my friends suggested, why don't you write the stories down? And that's how the, the whole idea came up. Now, having said that, the foreword of the book uh, covers a lot of ground. It provides a lot of historical context. Was it important for you to have that kind of background before heading into um, maybe some lighter stories, perhaps? All right, I explained that in the preface. I said, uh, while these are just stories, anecdotes, put together without any plan or put together, you know, haphazardly. It was all put together haphazardly. But while my friends to whom I used to tell the stories knew me, they would appreciate the story and be told in the context in which they know me, people were going to buy my book, uh, we thought a few of them will, a few of them will be sold would not know who I am, so I thought they ought to have my story, read my stories in the context. And therefore, for the context, they ought to know who I was. So uh, they said, you can put it down and get somebody to write a forward where they can introduce you to the reader. But then I couldn't find anyone who wanted to write a forward to my book, so I wrote a forward myself, which apparently is not the done thing, but there you are. You know? <laughs> are not necessarily the done thing. I recommend uh, people to read the 30 pages of my foreword because I think it tells the sort of history of Malaya. I think the Tonku Sultan also noted that really reading my book might give you an idea about what Malaya was and became Malaysia. It cover a whole period, probably cover seven decades. So I did find it interesting that the anecdotes are not chronological. Um, and this also is a bit of a departure from that usual autobiographical style, right? Um, how did you come up with this particular structure or flow for the book? As I said earlier, there wasn't any planned structure. I just wrote the stories as they came to mind. And then I didn't really uh, put them together into some uh, clear structural program, you see. One story would lead to another. I was writing a story about Tansri Selvaraja and his toupee, and I immediately think of the time when I talked him into uh, getting out of wearing a toupee, for instance. In that sense, one followed the other, and then from there I jumped straightway 20 years later and wrote a story about something that happened in the long bar 20 years later. And that came in a story number three, you know, that kind of thing. But the only thing I did is I said, I think I better one of my better stories as number story number one. And then as the reader got bored, I said I put one of my better stories as story number hundred. So <laughs> that arranged, rearrangement, most of it was just as they came to mind. I just uh, wrote it down and my secretary typed it and then we put it into. Eventually, we gave page numbers and we had a book. 
Now, um, one thing that constantly stands out in, in the book, and, and even in chatting with you now, is really a sense of humour. And uh, you talk about how you love the works of writers like Guy de Maupassant, Oscar Wilde, P.G. Wodehouse. Um, what makes you gravitate towards this style, both as a reader, I assume, as well as a writer? As I say in my preface to the book, I used to tell a funny story. I, I think I could tell a funny story. At least I used to tell a funny story. People, I, I think, I don't think they were just being polite when they laughed at my stories. So I also think I inherited a funny gene for my late father. My father was a schoolmaster and he was one of the leaders of our Syrian Christian community, the Malayali community, actually. And uh, he was in some, there was some demand for him to speak at weddings and birthdays and things. And he used to tell, he make very funny, he made funny speeches. And I think some of his genes must have passed on to me. Uh, I think I also tell a funny story. Anyway, people used to laugh, so I assume, I don't think they were just being polite. So I, I tell a funny story. Anyway, if you read the book, you'll know whether it's funny or not. So one thing I was curious about, and since you brought up the, the toupee, um, how did your friends and family feel about their appearance in the stories and how they were depicted? I don't know. Tommy Thomas's book is selling like hot cakes. There were 100 police reports and people threatening the defamation. I'm hoping somebody will threaten to sue me for defamation and that way we can sell the book. <laughs> No, no, I, I've been in my stories as uh, Twanku the Sultan said, I wickedly, mercilessly pull the legs of friends. But all those people, the people whose legs I pull are closest of my friends. Like Stansri Selwaz and the toupee, I mean, if this poor man is not around with us anymore. If he was arrived, he probably would have got an injunction to restrain me from <laughs> toupee. But uh, he was one, he was my closest friend. Okay, we were students and we stayed together in London as students. We practiced law together. We were closest of friends, and so I think I had a license to pull his legs, which I did. Same thing with my friend uh, Dato Doctor J S Epen. I tell a number of stories about him pulling his legs mercilessly. He's one year older than me. And he's, he's still laughing at my stories. I went to see him the other day. We're speaking today with Tansri V.C. George, former lawyer and retired Court of Appeal judge, about his book, Some Stories I Have Told and Some Stories That I Haven't, uh, which you can pick up at Book Access Bookstores um, in person as well as online. After this, we will be continuing our chat. Keep it here on By the Book, BFM 89.9. Brainy, fancy material. BFM 89.9. Hello, you are listening to Buy the Book with Lynn and Sharmila and our guest today, Tansri V.C. George, who is a former lawyer and retired Court of Appeal judge, here to talk about his book, Some Stories I Have Told and Some Stories That I Haven't, which is available currently to buy at Book Access uh, in person and online. So it does strike me that uh, because of your career, you know, the fact that you were a, a judge and handled um, some very serious issues, um, it strikes me that this sort of playfulness and humor isn't something that many people would associate with someone like you. Uh, did you find that people were surprised by your book? My friends who bought the book won't be surprised because they know me for a guy who tells funny stories. But I'm, I'm a rather, I'm actually a very serious person. I used to do top-notch cases in the courts as counsel, 
and I used to do uh, some of the bigger cases in the country came before me because I used to be the head of the commercial division of the High Court in Kuala Lumpur. I had the best lawyers in the country appear before me. And uh, sitting as a judge and giving out judgments, I to sentence people to death, you know, that kind of thing is uh, not uh, something frivolous or uh, funny at all. So I actually, in my work, my work was of a work came out from a very serious person. But as somebody, I think who said that, I, or I myself said that when I write funny stories, I'm quite serious about it. <laughs> I also want to talk about your book includes uh, many prominent Malaysian names. You've mentioned a few of them as well. Uh, did you have any negotiating to do with them before before writing about them and publishing the book? didn't talk to them. If I talked to them, they would probably stop me from writing about it. So I never talked to them. They would all be presently, presently I hope, surprised to see their name in, in my stories. I do say somewhere, one of the speeches I made arising out of the publication of the book, that uh, if your name is in V.C. George's book, you're socially made. <laughs> Actually, one aspect that I enjoyed very much about the book is that your stories paint a very vivid picture of the Malaysian Indian community of the culture, particularly the Malayali community here. And I, I realized that you do it in a way, you know, with the daily everyday stories, rather than these quote unquote, uh, historical grand narratives. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the importance of having these kinds of stories also recorded? Well, my stories have to come out from my own experiences. I'm an Indian, a Malayali, a Syrian Christian. A whole lot of my friends are Malayali, Syrian Christians, or, or Hindus, or Muslims, a whole lot of them are Malayali, Muslim. I'm a Malayali, I speak Malayalam. Although I was born and bred in this country, I, I speak a fair, what they call in Malayalam, Adukala Malayalam, which means the kitchen Malayalam is a sophisticated form of the language, but that's what I speak. So I wrote a lot of my stories about the Malayali community and personalities in the Malayali community, people like Tansri B.C. Sheikh, Dr. J.S. Epen, and so on. I also wrote a number of stories uh, about members of the Sikh community because some of my closest friends are Sikh lawyers, a whole lot of them are lawyers, I got to know a whole lot of them and your students in England. Later when I practiced in Salman, some of my closest friends were Sikh. Sikhs like Datu, Balwan Singh, Atma Singh, Gil, and so on. And uh, so I told funny stories about them. Another big part of the, the stories and the books, I think, are food and meals and the occasional drink, I think it's fair to say. Could you talk about why these elements make for good stories? You're talking about uh, stories which I tell at the bar, my reference to the bar. <laughs> well, the bar and, and, and dining rooms. I mean, there are also meals and a lot of food involved as well. Well, um, while I was a serious judge, I, I went to fairly, I ended up with the Court of Appeal, but more importantly, I was the head of the commercial division, as I said earlier, of the High Court in Kolumpa, where all the, some of the better, bigger cases were filed and heard. Apart from that, I led, I'm an gregarious person, I led a, a, a social life 
I'm a clubber. I'm a member of the Royal Selangor Club. I'm a member of the Royal Selangor Golf Club. And uh, uh, eventually, actually, I became the president of the Selangor Club, which suggests to you that I go there quite often. I used to go there very often. I still go to the club very often. I was president for two, on two setups, or two terms, once in 74 or something, once later. So a lot of my stories, a lot of my time was spent with friends at the long bar of the Selangor Club. The long bar is a heritage of, of Malaysia. People like Rudyard Kipling in the old days have sat down there and had a drink. And I had a drink there. I think one of my stories is taking my grandsons when they're seven years old into the long bar and seating them on a stool. You want to read that story? I think that's a funny story about seven-year-old boys sitting in the long bar. And I told them, if anyone comes and asks you, what are you kids doing here? They said, we're not kids, we're dwarfs. That's true. No, you didn't. Sorry, uh, did I interrupt you? No, no, no. I think you missed missed the punchline. You see, telling the story, the very important aspect of telling a story is to have a pregnant force and then come (laughs) with the punchline. So just now I... I didn't have the pregnant pause, and so the punchline was lost on your colleague. <laughs> Is it too late to recreate the pregnant pause? <laughs> we can do that again. <laughs> no, no, you read the story somewhere in the book. Since you ladies have actually seen the book and read parts, I don't think you read the whole book, but if you read, read parts of it, go and look for the story I write about the twin, my twin grandsons, in the long bar of the Selangor Club. <laughs> we'll do that. But I wanted to know whether you had a favorite story amongst the hundred that you've put in the book. No, no, no. There's no favorite stories. Uh, no, I can't say that any one story. Uh, I, I thought, you know, it's not sort of a story. I don't have an affectionate relationship with my story. The question is whether when I told the stories, those who heard me tell the story, and now that I've written it down, those who read it, whether they will find it funny or not. So if the, the, the question, you, your question should be asked of the people who read the book. Is there a favorite story? My stories, all of them I thought are well worth listening to. And Tansri, in closing, how did it feel to look back on these stories and events as you were writing them down, you know, um, on a day-to-day basis, stapling off the 10, sending them off? Have you been seeing them through fresh eyes? I, uh, I'll put it this way, and I had a lot of fun recollecting the stories and then putting them down in writing. I used the word transmigration from the story to the written story. I had a lot of fun doing that. In doing it, I started recollecting about friends. I mean, I was talking about stories that happened when we were students in Lorraine Osman and Selvaraja and Lee Kipling and so on in London, uh, having a drink in uh, the Isle of Wight and things like that. All those brought great uh, and very fond memories back to me. So I had a great, uh, it was a fun journey for me writing the book. And I hope that the readers who read it will also find it, find it uh, sort of follow my journey, a fun weather, and see that it was a, a fun journey all the way from my London days in the early 50s right up to now 2021. 
Dan Sri, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you. It was uh, great uh, having two pretty girls question me uh, better than being interviewed. I was interviewed by some uh, not so good looking uh, men. But nice to have you pretty girls do that. Thank you very much. That was Dansri V.C. George, a former lawyer and retired Court of Appeal judge, speaking to us about his book, Some Stories I Have Told and Some Stories That I Haven't. And that is available at all book access stores nationwide, as well as online at bookaccessonline.com. to footnotes. Uh, so usually what happens is once we've interviewed a an author, um, or rather, uh, Tansri said he didn't consider himself an author, but nonetheless, there is a book. And so um, once we've interviewed the writer of the book, usually on this side of things, what we do is we review uh, and we talk about our reading experience. So again, the book in question is V.C. George's Some Stories I Have Told and Some That I Haven't. Um, I, I just wanted to start off actually before we get into the the content of the book, we didn't talk about this in the interview. I love the cover uh, because the illustrations are actually done um, by by Lat, and there's yep. also a very dapper sort of author's photo, <laughs> you know, um, in a suit holding a drink. And um, I actually think that very much sets the vibe for the book, which does feel like you are in the presence of a host inviting you to a dinner party and regaling you with stories. That and I think it also sets the vibe of it being a particular uh, snapshot of a particular age in Malaysia's history of a particular type of gentleman. I have to say gentleman because that's clearly <laughs> what the, the appropriate word for this. Um, and, and you know, the, the illustrations also hark back to that kind of time. And I don't mean that in a twee or, or you know, everything was perfect, but there's a sort of warmth to the cover that I think reflects the rest of the book very well. Yes. So cover aside, uh, let's talk about the book itself. So we mentioned this more or less in the the interview, but it is a collection of 100 stories. And they are stories. They're they're sort of vignettes. I think they're best understood that way. They're they're snapshots from... all over the place. So from from childhood to education to um, practicing law to being a judge, it's it's a lot of different moments. Um, also to many moments in on golf courses. <laughs> I think it's fair <laughs> to say. Um, yeah. So it, it it kind of tells stories. They're recurring characters. They're close friends. Um, and yeah, I mean, each story. Some of them are you know, could be a couple of pages long. In other instances, they're just three paragraphs. So it's a huge variety. And I think that variety and the fact that um, Tansri himself said he didn't necessarily order them in any particular way, I think it allows you to to dip in and out if that's how you like to read. Um, it also allows you to read cover to cover and that's fine too. Um, I did the dipping uh, a little bit because sometimes I, I don't know, it's just that kind of book. Sometimes you have a couple of minutes here and you want to grab a, a quick vignette. Sometimes you read a few at a time. Uh, and, I, and I think that's kind of fun. It's nice to have that vibe. I will say, though, that even if you do the dipping in and out, I would highly recommend you read the forward before you do. Because the forward, um, it's almost like you're reading two very different types of writing because the forward is sort of the the history of Tanshri 
but also the history of Malaysia, the history of Malayalis and Malayali Christians in Malaysia. I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, I was going to say it's not actually a um, an autobiography by any means crammed into 30, 37 pages, I think it is. Um, it's not really that. It's more a tracking of somebody's lineage, which is really how it goes. You know, there is a uh, when it was that Malayalis came to Malaya at the time and uh, what it was that brought many communities here, how those communities intermingled um, and the atmosphere, I think, in which in which Tansri was raised and in which the family survived, for example, various things, various occupations. And I loved it, um, primarily because it's, I think, we talk about this, um, many people discuss this, we're definitely not unique in that history is so often best appreciated through a personal lens. It, it is that's what makes things real. I think that that's always the argument for why sometimes when you study history in the form of textbooks, none of it, everything feels very distant, even if you're studying the history of your own country. And this felt very intimate. It felt very understandable. Um, and it was told in a... Um, I don't want to... It's not exactly scholarly. It's told in a very comprehensive, but also storytelling kind of way. And I think that that forward then provides the backdrop or the context for a lot of the vignettes that come later, right? Because then when he refers to a particular family incident or he's uh, with a particular group of people and he says, oh, the Malayalis or the Sikhs who came here at this time, there's already a, a context that you've come into... Mm. And so that helps because then the vignette format, it, it feels like um, little, like almost as if you're looking at a very large, complex picture and then you zoom in on each aspect. Uh, and, and I like that. And it does that with the length and breadth of Malaysia as well, really, because you travel from different states to different cities. Um, and sometimes... The, the the sort of the vivid visuals of the places that he uh, he's at, uh, whether it's the Slango Club or whether it's um, just different uh, courthouses or uh, the houses of various of his various friends, um, it, it it sort of just feels really fun, like you're a fly on the wall. So the main thing that I wanted to say about reading the book is that um, it's good company. The book itself is good company. You feel like you're in the uh, the company of somebody who is invested in entertaining you, not lecturing you, not um, doing any of that, merely saying, this is the life I have lived, or more accurately, these are the stories I have told. Um, and these are the stories I've told that I know have worked, and now I'm going to translate it onto the page. And so there is a, a cadence to reading the book of somebody who I think is writing down material that is well-trodden. You know, he knows exactly where the pauses are, he knows what he wants to deliver, and you get that through... Um, a variety of the stories, generally speaking, they are mostly funny. There are a few here and there that are perhaps a tad, a scooch more serious, but a lot of them have a punchline. And I think it is always a wonderful thing to read a book that is uh, that has humour at its heart that lands the punchline. Um, and it's not really at anybody's expense simply because, well, well there's a lot of uh, lick bowling. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think you also get the sense of uh, you know, being, I come back to that point about being welcomed. You feel as if you're being invited into somebody's life and the somebody is also telling you, meet all my friends. Let me introduce you one by one. Um, and so after that, you feel like, okay, <laughs> now I can get on board with the lick pulling. 
I think those friends have had their legs pulled over these very <laughs> stories many, many times because that's the feel you get, right? You get the feel of being at a party um, with Tansri, him trotting out this story because he knows exactly what reaction he's going to get from the person listening. Um, and and it's it reminds me, as I said again, of... Uh, maybe people that you don't meet very often anymore, right? Um, people that uh, I, I recall from when I was younger, who I used to be able to uh, socialize with perhaps. And and I don't know, there's something very warm and friendly about that tone. Uh, and even when he does extend that to comment on occasionally things like race relations here in Malaysia. Tun M shows up a bunch. I, I just wanted does. to bring that up. So does Najib. Yes. Uh, so it, it's kind of like, it's done with a light touch. It's done for you to maybe be thought-provoking but rarely does it kind of become heavy which I think is nice for a book like this. Yeah, I also um, so I think one of the things that kept coming to mind for me is the fact that we're living in a culture at the moment that's very okay, boomer. And that's a thing, right? Like that that's something that you hear people say. There is a desire to hear from the young and to um, you know, to really engage and, and get that groundswell of youth and I I appreciate that. I think um, most of the time in our work that's something that we highlight. However, there is something to be said for reading the thoughts of not just a Malaysia of a certain time but a Malaysian of a certain age because um, they don't really make them like that anymore. The education system's completely different. Um, I think the lived experience is completely different. And you're talking about somebody who's writing over the span of uh, 90 years, right? And uh, writing just about those times, which means also that the sense of humour is um, a particular type of thing. The fact that... Um, the, the names that we've been talking about that come up in the book are also of a particular generation. And I found a real pleasure in being in that company of knowing that I was in the company of somebody who's lived a lot, you know, and, um, and has taken the time to put them down. And, you know, those stories... You ain't going to get them on Instagram or no. Twitter. You know, the story of how he convinced his friend to give up a toupee, which is one of my favorites in the book. You know what they are? They might make good TikToks. <laughs> oh my God. Because they're that surreal. In some cases, they are that surreal. I, I could see people mocking up a courthouse and, and then doing these as TikToks. If anyone's listening, you need a digital <laughs> digital presence for this book. TikTok's the way to go. No, but but I yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said, even if you don't have any connection to that sort of life, to understand what that sort of life was like. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and there's also so in closing, I think we both enjoyed the book. Is that fair to say? Yes, I, I very much enjoyed the book. I can see myself revisiting it, um, dipping in and out for a long time to come. So we've been talking today about uh, our reading experience of V.C. George's book, Some Stories I Have Told and Some That I Haven't. Uh, we actually spoke with Tan Sri a little earlier on about the experience of putting these memories and stories down onto the printed form. If you missed that, you can check it out uh, on our podcast, which is buy the book, of course, just search for that. And let us know what you think. I mean, do you like books with humour at their heart? Um, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.